but uh, listen, let's, let's roll. Um, I am 42 years old now. Um, be 43 soon. Uh, yeah, I don't know why you're whooping that. Yes, okay, all right, awesome, 40s. 40s rock, um, sure. Um, and I've, I've recently entered a new phase in my life um, where my eyesight has been getting blurry. And it's been, it's been doing this for about six months, uh, about a, a year ago, to where I just started uh, occasionally when I need to read something, I'm just starting to hold it further and further out. But I was able to focus harder and, and really get it. Now I'm at the point where, I, I, I mean, it's just it's blurry. At all times, I mean, I get a headache if I focus in enough to, to get it crystal clear, and uh, um, it's it's very sad. And I'm I'm pouring out a sob story for you guys. Uh, it's really it's really sad. Yes, thank you very much. Um, but I'm working through it. Um, I, I told uh, last night Danielle and I and several folks from Sojourn we were we were at this event, a fundraiser for Four Life Ministries. You guys are going to be hearing a lot about this in the days to come. Um, as Sojourn pursues a strategic partnership with this ministry, who's kind of a gateway in a lot of areas we're already ministering as a church, uh, things that we're pouring into. Well, I was looking at the program last night, and I leaned over to Danielle, and I said, Babe, um, I need you just to help remind me that when I leave the house, that I have to have some reading glasses with me. And again, this is just a very sad sad, uh, checkbox that I'm going to have to start um, uh, ticking off, uh, and I am ticked off about it. Um, but uh, my eyes are blurry. They're blurry. As broken people in a fallen world, we are either blind, spiritually blind, because we're dead in our unforgiven sins. Okay, That's people who are not Christians. That's all of us who are Christians before being forgiven. Blind spiritually. Either we're blind or secondly, we have blurry sight. As Christians, we have areas that we need God to grow us or to give us wisdom. Or there's areas of our life where, thirdly, we've got clarity. Where God has spoken to us, He's transformed us, He's given us a clear directive. That's all of humanity is going to be in, in those categories there. We'll talk a little bit about um, how progressive revelation, uh, what that is and how that uh, uh, speaks into uh, having blurry sights. But ultimately, I, what, what I want us to see today is that God is incredibly patient and God is also incredibly strategic in what He does in our life. Let me read to you guys from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. Five verses we're covering today. We're going to jam through them as fast as we can. Um, uh, but let's read this text and then we'll pray. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he'd spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him, and he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Let's pray. Uh, God, once again, I declare that um, the most powerful thing has been said right there. And as scripture has been sung today, as it's been proclaimed today, 
as have been read over us today, God, we thank you. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that your word would pour over us, pour into us, and pour out of us as well, God. Transform us by your word. Help us, Lord, to uh, dig in a little bit deeper in looking at what's going on in this story, a very real story of Jesus, a story that there's elements in here that point out again the authenticity uh, of the Bible and why we can trust it, Lord, because there's some things that were risky for the biographer to say about Jesus in this, again, showing us that we can trust the Bible, Lord. Um, but we ask that you would transform us, Holy Spirit, take this moment, I, I, can't, I can't do it for you, um, but I can do it for myself, take a moment and just personally, every one of you, just say, Jesus, change me right now. And I do pray that for all of us. Holy Spirit, change us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's unpack this, uh, these five verses. Starting the first one, verse 22 of Mark chapter 8. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him, begged Jesus, to touch him. All right? Um, Bethsaida, the, the word itself means house of fishers. House of fishers. Uh, the Faith Life Study Bible is among many other resources that say that Bethsaida was the hometown of the disciples, Philip, Andrew, and Peter. Right? So it's a fishing village that's in the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's not salt, it's a lake. Sea of Galilee, right where, about where the Jordan River flows into it. So it's a fishing village. Um, good chance that it's where three of these disciples, Peter, Andrew, and Philip, where, they, where they're from. So it means it's possible that these guys knew this blind guy. It's possible that they knew this guy that was coming, coming to him. All right, so these folks brought him because he's blind. He wasn't able to see to get, get to Jesus himself. They brought him, and these other people begged Jesus to heal him. Now, I'm not going to unpack it like we did before with, this, with a very similar story of God uh, spitting in, in, either on his hands or spitting in a guy's eyes. But again, this speaks to Christians that we would be people that bring our friends and our family to Christ. That, that those who are not believers, that we don't look down on them, we see ourselves on the same plane. That we're all sinners. But if you're a Christian, it's a sinner with a lowercase s. It's not your identity. It is what we do, but we're forgiven. And we just know it, we're not the answer. Jesus is the answer. We continue to bring people to Christ. Even those that need to be healed, whether they're Christians or not, we're just like, you know, can I pray for you, okay? So we're not going to unpack that much more than that, but man, it speaks toward that of what we're supposed to do. Um, they, they begged him, and um, this speaks to, speaks to prayer. And I just want to say a, a, just a quick point that it is okay to beg God for what he wants to do. It's okay to beg God for what's already in his character. In fact, he commands us to do this. Don't get caught up in... Uh, such weighty theology that it hinders your prayer uh, to where you think, God, He's sovereign, He's going to do whatever He wants, so why should I pray? You should pray because the sovereign God says, I work through prayers. Okay, So we should beg God to do what's already in His character. Um, He taught us in what's known as Lord's Prayer, or somebody would call it the Disciples' Prayer, to pray that, that He would give us today our daily bread, which means all of our needs, all of what we... He would declare that we need every day that we'd ask him, God, please give me what I need. 
We should ask God to convert our friends and our family. Guys, have you noticed over the last five years how the new atheist movement, how they have become huge evangelists, and they're not ashamed of their anti-gospel. They're not ashamed at all. We need to be we need to be courageous in knowing that God wants to get his message out to our friends, to our family, and he wants to use us for that. Um, and so, but ask him and say, God, please convert my friend. I'm giving you an external call. I'm saying come to Christ, but only Jesus can do the internal call. And we just trust him. And so we ask him, God, do the internal call. God, change their heart. There's, there should be some family members or some friends in your life that daily, really, daily, God has given them to you, put them in your sphere of influence. God wants you to pray daily. God, convert them. God, please change them. We should be asking God for revival. And I'm telling you something, God's stirring it in our city. He's doing something. He's doing it in our church. Some of y'all, you, you know, know it. You've, you've been tasting it. Um, you've been talking to others within just even this church of you know, and some of it's palpable. You can you can touch it. You can you you can explain it. And in other parts of it, it's like, man, I, I can't quite put my finger on it of what God's doing. But God's doing something. You know what I'm saying? So we need to be asking Him though. God, do revival, do an awakening, bring conversions. Beg God, beg God to do what's already in His character. Verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him. Right, let's talk about him leading them out of the village. Um, one of our values is to have an appreciation for both today as well as the ancient. To, to, we, can't live, we can't live 500 years ago. We can't live in the first century. We have to live today. But we also can, can engage where we're at in the culture that we live in. But we can also take from what God has been doing all across the centuries. And uh, today I want to quote, uh, I'll give, bring a quote from um, a pastor, a leader named Jerome, a 4th century uh, leader. He debated Pelagius, uh, who uh, was a, just a, a, a super heretic, um, who believed that we're really not broken. The human condition really isn't what you think, uh, and you don't even need God to get to God. That you've got everything within you, and, and uh, it goes much further than that. But Jerome, he's the one that translated the Latin Vulgate, which was the Bible entirely in, in the Bible, in the Bible entirely in Latin, and uh, which is, became the primary version for the Roman Catholic Church for for centuries. So Jerome was a stud. I mean, he 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 had things together. Uh, this is one of the things that he said about this this phrase uh, about being led out of the village. He said, "What's the meaning of the command? Do not go into the village. You see, therefore, that the interpretation." Is, is symbolic. Um, I, I believe it's both literal uh, and, and got some symbolic, but here's what he says. He is led out of the house of the Jews from the village, from the law, from the traditions of the Jews. He could not be cured in the, in the law. He who could not be cured in the law is cured in the grace of the gospel. It is said to him, return to your own house. Not into the house that you think, the one from which he came from, but into the house that was also the house of Abraham, since Abraham is the father of those who believe. I love that. He's just saying, look, um, 
that a part of this is saying that we're, we're to leave, we're leave the law behind. Of, of, and the law, basically, it's re- religion saying that I must do well enough. I must be good enough and God will accept me. And the law does nothing but show us how we're condemned and can't get to God. And that's a gift to us as unbelievers. It's a gift to show us that we'll never get there because then grace shines. We get to a place where we release that and say, I'm, I'm going to stop trying to get to God. I'm going to try, stop trying to be good enough because I'll never get there. That's why God came. He came to me. He came to us. It's awesome. So he, he took him, and, he, and, and there was a privacy. There, he, he pulled him away from the other, other folks. Um, and see, sometimes God does a movement, and Jesus would do things in front of others. But sometimes God impacts us privately. Um, Jesus, he took the man by the hand, he walked with him, he talked with him, he touched him, he healed him. It was a very personal portrait of Jesus Christ. I mean, one of the things I love about us walking through this biography of Jesus called the book of Mark is that we, week by week, we just get to see Jesus over and over again. Guys, he is amazing. And he meets every one of us. And he comes and he takes us by the hand. And he meets us right where our pain is. He meets us right, right where our, um, our sin is. Um, this afternoon, I'm going to be going to a funeral of Michelle Sisson's dad. And she's uh, just a, a wonderful sister and, and a part of this, this church family. And her dad uh, passed away just a, a couple of days ago after some very hard, um, hard medical difficulties in the last couple of, of months. And, and the thing that's really been impacting her and, and helping her in the middle of all this is Jesus is with her. He's holding her hand. He's the same one that took her dad to be with him, but he's also the same one that weeps with her and holds her by the hand. That is our God. He's the one that's with us every step of the way. When we're blind, he's with us. He cares, he sees, and he gives us sight. When we're hurt, he comes and just through who he is becomes a healing balm upon us now it says that he he spit in the guy's eye and and the word in greek for spit is spit he actually spit in the guy's eye and there's no more explanation than that i mean i don't know why he did it um jesus did it uh but here's my thought behind this spit is incredibly intimate, right? One of the most intimate things a man and woman can do is kiss. And um, it's also known as swapping, swapping spit, right? Now, please don't hear, please don't hear that I'm saying that Jesus kissed the dude, all right? That's not, that's not what happened. I'm not comparing it that way. But spit is very intimate. Jesus' spit entered his eyes. Jesus' DNA and bacteria Entered into this guy's body. So what's what's my takeaway from that? I believe you and I, we don't have a real perspective of life nor of true healing when Jesus is at a distance. We must be close to him, uncomfortably close. Intimately close. If Jesus had had a, a cold or a virus that day, the dude got the cold of the virus, you know. Um, uncomfortably 
close. A DNA swap took place. And, and it's, it speaks to me because at times I'm just like, all right, Jesus, do what you, do what you need to do to protect me and to provide for me, but don't get too close. Don't get too close because the closer we get, the more uncomfortable it is. And the more, the more your DNA passes into me, the harder it gets, the more trials and more persecution, the more it starts looking like a cross. We would like to have the things that Jesus could do for us without being so intimate, without being so close. But Jesus says, embrace it all. Embrace it all. He says, take up your cross. You know, Strangest sales pitch in the world. He didn't say, man, come to me and I mean, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll hand out the gold pieces. It's going to be a comfortable life. He said, come to me. You're going to suffer in ways that's relevant to the way that I'm going to suffer. But it's the greatest life ever. Strange sales pitch. But the greatest decision that we can ever make. And I just said to me first, as well as to y'all, is to embrace Christ. Embrace all that He brings. Embrace the cross that He's designed for you to carry. Embrace it. Um, there's some things in this verse here in this section that I, I think you can get some leadership lessons out of as well. Some of y'all are already leaders, even as students, you're a leader. Um, y'all, leaders within a family, leaders within an organization, a company, or just a leader among your friends. Um, some people, some of you are not leaders, but everybody's at least, at least supposed to lead themselves. Everybody. Lead yourself. And really, anybody else that can be influenced by you is to bring influence and, and, to, and to lead them. But look at here. I believe it shows a very strong leadership of Jesus Christ. There's phrase, phrases within here. It says, he took and he led and he laid his hands upon him. Um, these phrases all give indication of Jesus' personality and his leadership style. If you desire to be a leader, or if you are a leader, pay attention. The verbs that are listed here, that he took, he led, he laid, they all have an aggressive stance to them. Not rude, not insensitive, not overbearing, but strong. Strong leadership. Jesus did not waver in decision making. Jesus, being led by the Holy Spirit to follow the will of the Father, Decided what to do, and he did it. Okay, um, he he did not he did not make a suggestion when somebody said that they would follow him, or when someone came to him and asked him for his help. They basically were giving Jesus the keys to their life, and Jesus took the keys and he led them. He led them. We need to do that in a group that either you have um, a uh, an organic influence over. Or a strategic leadership over. People are giving you keys to your life. Lead them. Lead them. Pull triggers. Fail. Make mistakes. But, but, but lead them. Lead them well. Um, some of you, you can make decisions very quickly. That You just have an ability uh, to, to process through and to look at the big picture and the scope and before and behind and the ramifications and quickly sum things up and, and make a decision. Some of y'all, it takes a while. You calculate things. You pull back. Uh, and, 
and then it, it just takes a longer time. There is, there is not a better than or worse than as far as making a quick decision versus, versus making a slower decision. In fact, within a company, within an organization, within a church, you need people that are able to process things quickly and that process things slowly uh, to be able to balance and bring uh, good unity with things. Um, but here's what you need to do. Once you've prayed, once you've processed things through the filter of Scripture and, when appropriate, godly counsel, make a decision and then don't look back. See, it doesn't matter if you take, you're fast in making a decision or slow in making a decision. When you prayed it through, when you sought whatever godly counsel you're supposed to, and it's time to make the decision, make the decision and go for it. Because one of the biggest problems that we have is, and, and I, I faced it at times, is then you make a decision and then for yourself or for your family or within the organization, you just start questioning things. You get wishy-washy and back and forth and say, well, no, maybe we shouldn't do this. And, okay, let's put our efforts over here instead. And it just mixes things up and people don't know where we're going or what you're going to do. When a decision needs to be made, make it. And, and if... <clears throat> If it's a decision that an analysis needs to be tweaked, needs to be turned, needs to be backed up and go a different direction, you do that. You do that. But in the beginning, I mean, when, when you know you need to make a decision, make it, don't look back, put your shoulder into it and press forward. Jesus took this man. He led him. He laid his hands upon him. We need to do the same. When you have done due godly dig- diligence... For a decision that needs to be made. Take the situation. Lead. Lay your hands on it and be a solution person. You want to be a leader? When the opportunity arises to make a hard decision, don't shrink back. Lean in. Pray it through. Godly counsel. Pull a trigger and go for it. That's what leadership is. He said, uh, he asked him, Jesus, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees. They're walking. Um, so what we have here is is we're getting into the details of a two-stage healing of a blind man. All right. Now this is unique to Mark. There's no other place in the biographies of Jesus Christ or the called other ways called the Gospels where you see a healing by Jesus that didn't happen the first the first time. All right. Um, James Brooks, uh, New American Commentary, one of the guys that I go to in studying, um, he mentioned how Matthew and Luke omitted this story um, for whatever reason. Um, and uh, it's not in John. But in, in any event, the early church would not have invented this. Okay? This is, as people, as, as, as skeptics will say, you can't trust the Bible. This is an example of why you can trust the Bible. Because you're not going to throw out there that a possibility that Jesus was powerless, that he couldn't heal somebody. So they, they put it in there. Mark put it in there. Um, now, why was there two times? Why did it take two times? I think this is, this is clearly strategy from the Father, given through the Holy Spirit to Jesus to be able to do something, to teach something to this man. I think more importantly to the disciples, I think even more importantly to us. Why two times? So, because we need to know that sometimes we need to be healed, we need to be freed of an addiction or a vice, 
it doesn't just come by flipping the switch on or by one prayer. It takes time, a lot of times, to be healed, to be freed of something. And many times, clarity, clarity of perspective takes a long time for you to grow, for you to understand things, for you to be transformed. It takes a long time. This is on the heels of the second miraculous feeding of thousands of people. It's no accident that Bethsaida was a place where, where, where Jesus, where, where this happened. Jesus fed the 5,000 here, the first story, in this same town. This is where he did it the first time. And this is kind of like a comedian's callback. It's no accident that Jesus is doing this and showing them this in the place where the first miracle came because the disciples didn't get it the first time. They didn't understand the second time either. And it's just Jesus, uh, it's just Jesus, the man, and the disciples that are, that are there, pulling, pulling away from the crowd. He's strategically helping and teaching the man. He's also helping and teaching these disciples. We need to know that God is, is big, but He's also patient. He knows we don't get it all at once. Progressive revelation personally means that, that you learn as time progresses. It's the reason why you don't just need to read through the Bible once in your life or read a book of a Bible or read a verse just once. Because as you go over and over through the Word of God, it's not just text, it's alive. And God will continue to reveal, reveal things to you about what's in it, literally, but also the application in your life for right then. What God wants to do to sanctify, that means to grow you, to make you more, more like Christ. These, it, it just shows, I mean, this guy was, he had blurry sight. Blurry sight. And Mark was a, a unique writer. In this story, he uses two words that are only used by him in the entire Bible. And it's the word for take hold there and the word for he let out. And he also doesn't use the normal word for eyes here. Um, the word that sounds, sounds close to the word ophthalmology, where that word would come from. He actually used a poetic term for the eyes. And this would indicate that Mark wants to tell us that Jesus is more than just interested in our physical sight. He wants us to have clear perspective in life. Now let's go a little further and unpack it. Verse 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. There's a classic uh, movie quote that says, I see dead people. All right? What movie was it from? Awesome movie. Great movie. All right? Um, they, seeing dead people, uh, we, we, we see here that, that he said, at first I see... I see people, but they look like trees that are moving around. And then here at this point, he clearly sees people. He clearly sees people. Guys, in life, our lives are blurry and we're focused on so many things. And what Jesus wants us to see is he wants us to see him and he wants us to see people. The great commandment says that we're supposed to love God with all that we are. And we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's everything in life is relational. Uh, I had a, uh, a talk late last night 
with a friend that, that owns a business here in town, and, and he was just talking about covenant relationships, about how the way that he and, and, and the decisions that he was making, uh, uh, in that it, was, it wasn't just about decisions that would be made for their best benefit as a company, but to know that every Christian's a minister, no matter where you are, God has placed ministry around you because of the people that God's placed around you. And to, to very, in a real way, to be able to say, how is it that not only I and my family or my company, my organization can be blessed by these decisions we're making, but how can it be a mutual benefit? Or even to push it a little, little more on that side, which is what this friend is doing, say, well, maybe... Maybe the decision we make would be even better for them than it is even for us because God wants relationships. That my job or the, or the things that I do, that that's, not, that, that's, that that's not the end, but that's to get us around people. That we see people. That we see dead people. That we see friends and family members that they're dead in Christ. They, they're not believers. And we don't browbeat them. Uh, we don't patronize them. We don't act like we're better than them because we're a Christian. But rather, we be their, their servant just to say, you know, I'm not the hero. Let me point you to my heroes, Jesus. We see dead people. But we see live people as well. We see the people that God's placed around us. We see those that are poor, that are helpless, that, people that need to be bandaged, people where there's injustice, marginalization, that are around us, or even as God shows us, the, how to get to the people that God wants us to be with and to be able to minister to and to be ministered to by. We see people. Everything is relational. Who you live with. Who you live beside. Yes. But you know when God says to love your neighbors that He actually wants you to love your actual neighbors? You know? Maybe next year. and We don't have to wait till next year, but maybe 2014 will be the year of the neighbor for Sojourn Church. Maybe that will be a just a real core push for us to say, how can we be strategic with just the people specifically right around you, in your apartment, in your condos, in your townhome, in your house, your neighborhood, where you live, to have a strategy to, to love them, to serve them. Everything's relational with the people you spend your day with, in your school week, your work week, your days. The people you come in contact with and pursuing your life. I mean, what if... What if there was a strategy in, in who it was that you bought gas from? To say, all right, God, I, you know, all these things that I do, there's people. What if, what if God, you gave me more strategic ways to do this? It's like, and God, don't, don't receive this as some kind of a legalism. But say, God, what do you want me to do with this? And what if we started recognizing, okay, I can build a relationship with the person I build my... That I, that I get my gas from, or or the cashier. I, I go on a certain time in the week, and there's a cashier on a certain lane where I buy groceries, and and will smile and just say 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 kind things to them, and and just as as days work into weeks, work into months, you know, and these people in our lives work into years, you know. There's strategy where the gospel is being lived out, and we get the opportunity to be able to speak the gospel in people's lives. A certain server at a restaurant that you ask for. When you go, a certain owner of a restaurant that you speak with or a manager, a current, your current clientele that you have right now as a business or the customer that you have. What if we had a gospel intentionality 
for years and for decades. What if? Guys, God has a strategy. He never intersects people on chance or on accident. And it's not just about you blessing others. Um, It's not that you're the center of the ministry universe. God wants to bless you too by the people God brings in your life. Even if they're an unbeliever, please don't patronize unbelievers. We love unbelievers because Jesus loves unbelievers. We don't think that we have it all together. We know we don't, but Jesus does. And we know that our friends are broken just like we are. And just being honest and real and authentic, we just say, man, I'm not the answer to my own life. Finally got there. Man, I want to point you to my friend, my God, my Jesus. To see dead people, to see live people, to see people that Jesus loves. Guys, people need you. And you need people. Everybody does not need you. And you don't need everybody. But you do need those that God gives to you. I believe that we need, we need to get mystical about it. I believe that you should think that God is at work in where you live, where you work, where you go to school, in the classes that you're taking, in your day-to-day errands. God is at work. The people God brings around you every day, it's not an accident. Now, don't feel the weight on you like I had for so many years to think that I've got to, I've got to make a difference in every person's life that I see. That's actually not humility. Just say, all right, God, just show me. And I don't have to be, I don't have to be courageous. You're courageous enough for me. Just show me. Show me what I'm supposed to do. You don't get overwhelmed. You don't get overburdened. You just say, Holy Spirit, show me what I'm supposed to do with the people that are gifts that you bring around in my life. It brings it back to Jesus' community and mission, our core values. That we, if you draw near to God, He gives you a family. He gives you a spiritual family. That's your church. He gives you people to disciple and be discipled by and sojourn. That's our journey groups. And He gives you pre-disciples. He gives you neighbors. He gives you colleagues, fellow students, and their gifts. Jesus loves people. He wants you to see them. He wants you to see dead people. He wants you to see live people. Send him home saying, don't even enter the village. Um, a lot of other thoughts about this, but I think just very practical. He, in the next story, is about to move on to Caesar, Caesarea Philippi. I believe the reason, I mean, it's a strange thing. Don't tell people. I think it was pretty practical. He's like, if you go and spread things up, I'm going to be delayed and going to Caesar Philippi. You know, he knew what he needed to do. Again, he's a leader. And so he's making things happen. Said, don't, don't go and tell everybody about this. Parenthetical, I, I got I to move to the next thing, place God wants me to do. So in conclusion, guys, don't don't overlook the obvious part of this story. Jesus cares for real people. He cares for you. He cares for the people that are around you. He cares for those that are already His. He cares for those that aren't His, His yet. He cares for those that are far away from Him. He draws near and touches their lives. He cares for imperfect followers like you and me. He's patient, but He speaks plain and leads in a strong way. He cares for you. And I just say, respond to Christ today. Respond to Him. Whoever you are in here, already a Christian, respond to Him today. Say, God, help me to love you the way you love me. Help me 
Open my eyes up that I'd see people, that I'd see dead people, that I'd see live people. Don't think that I'm the answer, but I point them to you. And if you're not a believer in here, you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, respond to Christ today. I'd love to be able to process it with you. You don't need me. You don't need me to get to God. But man, I'd love to pray with you. Or if you've got a journey group leader or another friend in here, grab, grab us. And if, man, if God's doing something in your life, man, I mean, tell somebody. Tell somebody that he's doing a work within you. Do you see people? Do you see people that are around you? Do you, do you embrace the people God's given you as, as a gift? Some of you, maybe you need just to be prayed over as well. Love to do that. Just that God would kind of open up your eyes to see the people God's placed around you. Family, friends, unbelievers, believers, oppressed, poor. To be able to see it in the context of where you live, neighborhood, loving your city, having a heartbeat for the rest of the world. Now we're going to pray. Uh, in fact, Ben, if you want to come on up and pray and uh, just... Take a, take a moment just to process this. And man, when you come to the tables, you guys who are Christians, just, just come to the table just saying, knowing that, that Jesus is there. It's, he's not the bread. He's not, he's not the wine or the juice, but He's there in our declaration of this. And, and in just, you can just pray and just say, God, open my eyes. Help me to see people today. God, uh, bless us as we process through this. Help those that are not Christians just even today, surrender to Christ. Do a conversion today. For those of us who are Christians, Lord, do a great, powerful work in us. God, thank you that as we go to the table, you said that you broke the bread, and you said, this is my body, which was broken for you. Take and eat it, God. And we do that, declaring the greatest news of all. Jesus was broken for us. You said, here's, here's my blood, which was spilled out for you. We declare that that your blood did spill out, that you made a real substitutionary sacrifice for us. You, you took our place. We declare that today, Lord. Lead us, guide us. You're within this time of communion. Do a powerful work in us as we respond to you. In Jesus' name.